today we're coming from chapter 52 of Isaiah. The whole chapter reads, I want to put it, read it again to you. I don't know how many of you read it and studied it. It says, Awake, awake. Put on thine strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come unto thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus saith the Lord, You have sold yourselves for naught, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus saith the Lord God, My people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, there, and the Syrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore what I have heard here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught, that they, that they rule over them, make them to howl, saith the Lord. And my name is continually, every day is blaspheming. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that do it speak. Behold, it is I. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thine God reigneth. Thy watchmen shall lift up thine voice, with the voice together shall they sing. For they shall see eye to eye, with the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together ye waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord had comforted his people, he had redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord had made bare his arm holy in the sight of in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence. Touch the unclean thing, go ye out of the midst of her. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord, for ye shall not go out without haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your reward. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled, and be very high, as many as were a stone at the his visage was marred no more than any man, and his form that's the that the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, the kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Here we have God speaking and his people being liberated, coming out of Babylon, Cyrus set them free. They didn't have to rush out or run out and make haste to get out because Cyrus allowed any that wanted to leave to go back and build Jerusalem, go back to Jerusalem, that capital city. And I said it was a picture of us coming out of spiritual bondage that the captives has been set free to return to the holy Jerusalem, that celestial city. So this is more or less a release from spiritual bondage and not physical bondage, even though they came out physically. It's not geographical, so he leaves us in the world, but he tells us to come out of Babylon, come out of Babylon. For by Jesus' death, we have been reconciled to God. We have been redeemed. We drink of the cup of his salvation and the cup of his joy. We're strengthening the Lord, and he establishes people, and we just have to walk in that because he had accomplished what he had came to accomplish, and that is set the captives free, to set us at liberty in Christ Jesus, that we're no longer in bondage. Uh, the liberty, what's that word liberty? That word liberty is the quality or state of being free. It is the power to do as one pleases. Freedom from physical restraint. Freedom from arbitrary and arbitrary and despotic control. In other words, from the forces of Satan, from outward forces or forces that has had an influence upon us throughout this time and that we are now slaves of righteousness 
In other words, we're bondage under Jesus Christ, as in Martin Luther's book, The Bondage of the Will. We under the bondage of Satan of the bondage of God. There's no such thing as free will. So we choose to be, uh, now we are under and in bondage to Christ Jesus. The positive enjoyment of various social, political, or economic rights and privileges. And as sons of God, he had given us the right, the ability, the privilege, the power to become sons of God. And as we awaken, as we start being aware who we are and the liberating effect that the Spirit has upon us and that the anointing does indeed break the yoke. His anointing breaks the yoke of our bondage. Uh, the mission of Christ to proclaim the gospel, that mission passes on, on to us through the Great Commission. Isaiah 61 and 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord had anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He had set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. The spirits that were in prison, the spirits that were in darkness, we're to be lights unto the world. We're to proclaim the word of God. In other words, the gospel, we'll get to go forth speaking and preaching the good news, making disciples, and it sets us free. The truth actually sets us free. Uh, the Amplified Version says, The Spirit of the Lord God is up on me because the Lord had anointed and commissioned me to bring good news to the humble and afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted to proclaim release from confinement and condemnation to the physical and spiritual captives and freedom to the prisoners. So there's no more condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus and with the gospel and the turning and repentance unto Christ or whatever, there's a removal of sin. There's a remission of sin. There's a remission of the guilt associated with sin. It's a clear conscience toward God and that we're reconciled unto God. All of this is in the liberty that's in Christ Jesus. Once we start realizing that we are free and that nothing can bind us that Jesus Christ had given his life that we may be overcome and that this world has no influence on us and that we break free of the corruption and the entanglement of this world. The truth is the instrumentality whereby as we're set free. It's the instrumentality by whereby we are set free. The book of John 8 chapter in the 32nd verse says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now I'm saying make you free because actually it's a progressive word. Truth and the making of free is a progressive word. The 52nd chapter of Isaiah, when it comes to that verse, uh, it says that his people will know him. The sixth verse says, Therefore my people shall know my name, Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that do it speak. Behold, it is I. Once we come unto the knowledge of who Christ Jesus is, and that it is he that is speak, the, begin the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning. So there's a lifelong process of being liberated, of growing, of our salvation here is at hand, and we shall go free, plus it frees us from the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? Uh, it's a payment of death, for the wages of sin is death. Everyone has been appointed once to die. We, we have, we're appointed to death, but in Christ Jesus, those that believe upon him, he has given us eternal life. He has given us everlasting life. There's life in Christ Jesus and him only. In that instrumentality of the truth, that's why we would we have to know the truth. We have to know His Word, and that loosens a whole lot of bonds and ties in life. It loosens you from all mankind. Um, Romans the sixth chapter and eighteen verse says, "Being made free from sin, 
ye became servants of righteousness. And remember I told you, you're either in the bondage to Satan or you're in bondage to God. Now we are servants of righteousness, and that's who we should yield our members to, yield our members as servants unto righteousness, because to him or to he who you yield your members unto, that's who you're serving of. So if you serve sin, and Jesus Christ died so that we shall not continue in sin, that we be free from sin. Now, the Amplified Version says, And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness, that is, to conformity to God's will and His purpose. So, now we have a purpose in life. We have an objective because... Jesus Christ being the object of our faith, it is up to us to conform to God's will. Let that same mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. So here we set out on a venture being created in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, since that old law being done away with, in that we are under grace and truth, that law was just a schoolmaster. And this new law, the law of liberty. You remember I said liberty to set free. We're free in Christ Jesus. It says Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Paul saw two laws working within his members. One that was trying to bring him into bondage, into the captivity of sin, but that other law was a law of the spirit of life that we were going to serve Christ Jesus. It's a life-given spirit, and the function of that spirit to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. In other words, to live a prosperous life, to live a life free from the vintages of the sins that he had placed upon the Egyptians in those plagues. The truth makes us free in a sense that now with the mind we serve God and we're trying to allow that same mind to be in us that was in it. But it's a transforming of the mind. In other words, it's a process of transformation. It's an ongoing process. But the Spirit is regenerating us, making us anew. The bondage of sin is broken keep talking about that bondage of the will and the bondage of sin. See, because we were born in the sin and condemnation and we were influenced and shaping in iniquity. But Romans 8.21 says that the whole creation was subject to this. It says, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's how the New King, the King James Version reads. The Amplified Version reads it so you'll see or understand that the whole creation itself was subjected to futility. And that if you go see a new heaven and a new earth come about, we have to see a reversal of creation. I, we heard some bad weather last night and we heard a lot of thundering and lightning or whatever. But that's a sign of God moving and changing. And as the Spirit of God breathed and moved up on the earth, it was reshaping and reforming the earth because Satan and the, the demons had gotten the earth into a point that it was without form. It was void. It was dark. And the Spirit of God moved up on the earth. It brooded up on the earth. And he brought in light. Well, that's what he's doing now. It's moving up on the earth, but through his spirit, we're the light of the world now. We're to allow our light to so shine because this gospel has to shine through. It has to be an ever-increasing growth of the light and the appearance of the sons of God for the whole creation is waiting for the manifestation of of the sons of God. Because as I was saying, the whole creation was subject to futility. In other words, the dying of the leaves wasn't there in the beginning. 
the thorns and thistles that the earth brought forth. It was because of Adam. It was because of man's sin. He says, Cursed is the ground for your sake, and it shall bring forth thorns and thistles, and you shall till it by the sweat of your brow from dust I come, and to dust thou shalt return. Well, what happens when he reversed the curse? The curse is reversed. We see all of creation, the line, laying down with the lamb. The children playing on some of the deadliest vipers hold because there will be no more killing in the earth. That, na- that state of nature of the curse being reversed, no more dying, no more corruption. And the corruption that it exists, everything will bring forth its true purpose in God and we'll eat of the trees of the garden and it gives us life. It sustains us and it's for healing. So, uh, the living says, for on that day thorns and thistles, sin, death, and decay, the things that overcame the world against its will at God's command will all disappear and the world around us will share in the glorious freedom from which God's children enjoy. So you'll see a new heaven, a new earth with the creation of the children of God walking up, going to the mountain of the Lord, hearing from the Lord, going to the house of God, because we're no longer fret, because there shall be no more evil doers. There be, won't be the sinners. He says, fret not thyself, because they shall soon be removed. So in that first verse when he says, Put on thy beautiful garments and go to Jerusalem, that holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. In other words, no more sinners and unbelievers. He's going to purge the church. In Revelation, we see where he turns on the church and says, I'll fight against the church because the church itself has just as in physically he purged the temple of money changes and cleanse the temple before he'll do it again. He's going to cleanse and he's going to purge God's church. All of the apostates will be removed from the church. It'll be cleansed out. That's so we can enjoy the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, the presence of his spirit secures and does this. He's doing it by the zeal of the Lord of hosts. Not by power, not by might, but by his spirit. Second Corinthians third chapter seventeen verse reads, Since we have such a glorious hope and confident expectation, we speak with great courage, and we are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not gaze at the end of the glory which was fading away. But in fact their minds were hardened for they had lost the ability to understand. For until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains uplifted, unlifted, because it is removed only in Christ, only through the religion, only through the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ is that covering of that veil is uplifted or removed. Without Christ, we have no understanding, a knowledge, a true knowledge of God, which shuts out any other religion because, as Jesus Christ says, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. I'm the only way. That's a very narrow road. It, it, it really eliminates a lot of churches that preach through the human philosophy and the human tradition of men because... Most churches, they're preaching what's popular and what people want to hear, but it's not something to condition them to repentance. You never hear about repentance turning away and man's uselessness. A man has to change a death to self. That's that, that's the gospel that give that should give life, but they preach another Jesus. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of the Spirit. The Spirit's not working here to two. It says, uh, For until the very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil of blindness lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns 
in repentance and faith to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. In other words, emancipation from bondage and true freedom is there. And we all with unveiled face continually seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree to another, from glory to glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. In other words, it's a progressive work that we're seeing clearer and clearer each day as we awaken, he says awoke, as we awaken we see more clearly and we establish the law of God through faith. So it's a lot of people that think they are doing it, but they are not because they are not in Christ Jesus. Galatians, second chapter, the fourth verse, he explains what happened. He went to, up to Galatians, and you remember in Galatians is where he rebuked Peter about these things, about the law. And he had separated, Peter had separated from the other brethren. But the second chapter here we're in, it says, Then after a period of 14 years again, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas taking Titus along. I went up to Jerusalem because of a divine revelation and put before them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private because those of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run the course of my ministry in vain. But all went well, for not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled, as some had anticipated, to be circumcised, despite the fact that he was a Greek. My concern because of the brethren, because of false brothers, those masquerading as Christians, who had been secretly smuggled in into the community of believers, in other words, within the church, Satan ministers transforming the angels of light. Uh, they had slipped in to spy out the freedom which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us back into the bondage under the law. There are those that come into the church and they're telling people, well, no, you have to be baptized. What, no, these have to be circumcised. No, you you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Well, you need Christ plus this. And this is the work. In other words, with a whole lot of rules and regulations trying to bind us under these things. And faith cometh by hearing the word of God. And it comes, we, we receive through God's grace by the hearing of God's word. So who's to say how God births you? into the body of Christ. It's not a work uh, because baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is a hot would work. But there are a lot of people are trying to get works and things done so it seems as though they're doing something. But Christ has done all of the work. It is finished. All we have to do is believe on him and walk therein. We have to walk according to the word of God. And it's the spirit. It's the spirit that sets us free the spirit of truth walking in that spirit the spirit of truth let's read about him here John the 14th chapter he says and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that is a comforter an advocate an intercessor a counselor a strengthener yesterday we talked about strengthen, strengthening yourself in the Lord by putting on Christ well, the Holy Spirit strengthens us, and it's a strengthener uh, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive and take it to heart because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he, that is the Holy Spirit, remains with you continually and will be in you. So he's talking about and a lot of religions don't recognize the Trinity or speak of the Trinity. It says only there's, there's God the Father and God the Son, but the Spirit is not a personage. And there's three persons in the Godhead, so we see the Holy Ghost as a personage. It's the person of the Godhead. 
but the person of the Godhead, the essence of this spirit, this Holy Spirit, is that it can live and will live inside you. Well, isn't it the same? No, because Jesus says after you get to a point of acclamation there or whatever, that Him and the Father would come in and dwell with you and make a boat with you. All right, so we, we're talking about unity there, being in unity. Uh, the living virgin, listen at the living virgin, he says, If you love me, obey me, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, and he will never leave you. He is, he is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who leads into all truth. That's his purpose. It's to guide you and lead you into all truth. Now see that you grieve not the Spirit. It consistently tells us, grieve not the Spirit, nor quench the Spirit. That's why a lot of times we're afraid to trust that inward voice or that little small still voice. And when we do wrong and we apprehend and come back and say, well, something told me. Well, you got to get more sensitive to listening and evaluating what that something is because it grows as you listen to it, as you you exercise use of it. But then there are some people all their lives, they're right on the verge, but they never step out on faith. They never start trusting that inward voice, the leading and prompting of the Spirit. That's because it's not loud and boisterous like the voices of the world and get attention or whatever. It's a quiet, gentle spirit. But you can't, it, it has personage. And you remember I told you it has personage because it must have a personage because it says you can grieve the spirit. A personage can be grieved. It also says, Quench not the Spirit. Quench, in other words, don't pour cold water on the Spirit when it's hot to stop it from working. It says, He is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who leads into all truth. The world at large cannot receive Him, for it is not looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. That's why I told you about being awoke, awake, conscious aware of this spirit being this spirit inside of us the presence of this spirit that you awaken to it and you look for it. that's why I says seek the Lord we continually and I seek God in everything and I'm doing because the presence of God is with me all the time in wherever I am I'm at so it tells me sometimes I may cut a television program off I might just tell somebody, well, I don't follow that no more. I don't do that because I'm not tossed to and about, but I'm following the prompting of the Spirit of God, which tells me and leads me in certain directions. But we know not how the Spirit leadeth. It leadeth a listed where it may. The consistency of the Holy Spirit is that we can't tell it. It tells us we must, as a compliment, go along with it, but we must... Know what God's words say, or we'll work contradictory to it. And we know that the Spirit don't work contradictory to God's word. So it's not going to tell you something contradicting God's word. So that's why we must know the word of God. We must study to show ourselves approved. Yeah. <coughs> uh, but you do, for he lives with you now, and someday shall be in you. So it was Jesus Christ that was that was the personage of Jesus Christ talking with them, but he had to go back to heaven. He couldn't be in each and every one of them. He says he was going to give them another comforter, and that was the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth, it was going to take up residence within them. That's why when the messenger of the covenant with Moses and God was telling him that the angel of the Lord was going to be with him. He says, now see that you obey the angel of the Lord of this messenger of the covenant because there's no coming back from blasphemy of the truth. And if it's guiding and leading you into all truth, it's guiding you and leading you in paths of righteousness because those are the things that does what? It makes you free. The truth is what 
makes you free. So it's a, 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 a group of, of decisions that you're making all day, every day, and at different times. In other words, the loosening of the cords of sin that so easily binds you. They're so intricately woven that we may know which way we think to go and do this, but there's a way that appeared right unto a man, but the end thereof is death and destruction. So it's not us being self-ambition or self-will or knowing the way. It's looking unto the Spirit for leadership in the way. Now the apostles was there with Jesus, and this Jesus was saying that he was sent another comforter, one the same as he was. And that other comforter was to abide in them. He would never leave them or forsake them. But he had to go back and go to heaven. He was going to be sitting on the throne of God. He says, sit thou at my right hand. That was the father talking to the son. Sit thou at, thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thine footstool. All power was delivered unto him. Now he was the literal word of God. We know in the beginning, Jesus was that word of God that was made flesh. He was with them, teaching and leading and guiding them into the truth. He was truth personified. That's what Jesus was. Just like Satan, I mean the devil is Satan personified. We don't hear the word devil in the Old Testament because he says Satan has come down to you. Or when he was cast out of heaven to become a personage, the personage of Satan is the devil. That's why when we call someone the devil, it's so offensive. In other words, that's the personification of evil. That gives him a, a personage. His word is truth. God's word is truth according to John 17 and 17. That is the truth, the word of God. And that's what I say. We were talking about the truth in the beginning that was with God. This truth that he says, have God said... Well, God, whatever God said is truth because that's what his word is. And that's what Jesus is, is the truth in, in, in flesh, incarnate. They could literally directly and see him and hear him, the Son of God, which is why he said the Holy Spirit was going to be with them and in them. But the Holy Spirit was going to take up residence within them. He never did tell them that he had took up residence within them. He said the Holy Spirit was. But if we see where later on as he was talking to them, and if they was living a certain life and they prayed to the Father, and they prayed, he says, that the Father and the Son would come in and dine. They would sup with you. They would be in you. In other words, the, the, the Elohim, that, that Father of God, God is a family that we would be one with him as he was one with the Father. Remember he was seeking the relationship he had in the beginning? Well, that's what we should be seeking is a relationship with Jesus Christ whereas we are one with him. We are one with him. One family. One, one faith. One Lord. One baptism. We all in Christ Jesus. We have to be in Him. Okay. Uh, this is why in Luke, the 24th chapter, in the 49th verse, it says, Tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Power from on high. Okay. Now, what was this power to do what? What did you need this power to do? The power to submit yourself to the will of God. We have to. You remember I told you yesterday, it's being submitted to the will of God and that that's a hard thing to do is submit yourself to another. And I was telling you about the woman being submitted unto her husband. But then we see where it says submit yourselves to one another. The husband submit himself unto the wife. So that's a humbling effect, but it's a God-like effect, but it takes the power of the Spirit to get us to do those things. That's why it says until you be endued with power from on high, because some things we do in our own human power, 
And any human being with enough willpower can keep the law of God in the letter. That's what the Pharisees was doing. They kept the letter of the law, but not in spirit. We're looking for the spirit of the law. But God must empower us to keep it in the spirit of the law. That's what we're looking for, to keep the law in the spirit of the law. And that's what faith does. It writes the laws upon our heart. It becomes a personage, a character trait of who we are. We love to keep God's law, and we delight in God's law, and the strength of the Lord is in us, and that's the joy of the Lord is my strength, what pleases God. So we're not wholehearted against that. So the struggle Paul was suffering from was that when he was tempting to do good, evil was there. So the flesh was looking at the pleasure that comes from the flesh. It's like the pleasure of eating. The, but I want to fast. I don't want to do this right now. I need to get stronger spiritually. Or else I don't want to look at these... Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look up on a maiden to lust after. Because what we know, that the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, that's the portals with which Satan comes through. Well, nothing wrong with looking. I I ain't doing nothing. But it is. Because he said, he who looketh after a woman to lust after have sinned in his heart already, now already, you've already committed adultery through the look and the stare, the wanton covetousness. That's why I say you have to beware of what's on television in the shows because that's what advertising does. It puts that burger, that piece of chicken, or whatever it may be on these cooking shows, it puts a tempting feet in front of you, but a lot of people say, I'm hungry, but I don't want to go get a McDonald's. I don't want to go get that because I'm not going to get the one in the picture. Because sin cannot yield what it promises. The wages of sin is death. There's a penalty for that. So that adulterous relationship with that woman or that man is promising you. You surely go hate it after you receive it. It's like Amnon when he was lusting for his sister... Tamar, but he hated her more after he had a relationship with her. That's why the relationship between husband and his wife is not as strong afterward. And they said, well, they can't work together because they're going to be fighting because it changes the relationship once you're in ownership or possession of that. The responsibility is there, but the, the pleasure, in other words, the human characteristic is what's different. That's why a lot of people want children or they want different things. But are you willing to care for children or care for this automobile or clean this house or take care of whatever it is because now you're responsible for it. It no longer is a delight. Now it's yours. Those cute little children and everything, they're yours good or bad at all times or whatever. So there's a responsibility. But you have a liberty to, and a responsibility to God. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Yes. But along with freedom, there comes a responsibility. If he set us at liberty, we must pay to maintain that liberty. You want to get it from away from around your parents. You want your own home. And you want to be somewhere you're in charge. You want your own freedom. But with that freedom, the light bill is no longer on your parents. It's on you. The responsibility of feeding, that liberty comes at a cost. So, so does the things of God. In other words, faith has works, but we're not saying works can attain the salvation of God. Salvation is free. God freely gives us grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor toward man. And faith, you receive faith by believing. Right? But a faith without works is a dead faith. Because the essence of faith itself is doing. But so, when he talks to the people about 
that cast out devils and fed the needy and doing all these things, and he say, I never knew you, it's because they didn't have a relationship. They wasn't a part of the family in an authorized way. In other words, they wasn't birthed into the family. They wasn't born again. They didn't meet all the conditional requirements. Even though they were in the church, they were in the building, he still had to purge them away. Just like Judas. He took Judas in as a disciple, but he knew Judas was a devil. He never was going to make the grade, even though he sent him out two by two with the rest of the disciples. The disciples didn't know the difference between Judas and no one else. But Christ did, because why? He was not of his sheep. He wasn't of his people. So this power that comes within us is the, is the ability to do God's will. He gave them the power to keep God's law in the spirit, not just in the law. And, uh, we need more power than what we humanly have to keep God's law in, his, in the spirit. God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And he has empowered us to do that by his spirit in spirit and in truth now it can be with emotionalism a lot of people serve them through emotionalism and that's what crowds and things do but sometimes you may not feel and that's why I say it's not about feelings see because of responsible people you know I've seen my wife struggling through pain and everything else but it's not about how she feels she still struggle up and do this for the kids and would cook or whatever because she has a family that she was responsible for. So can you imagine how many times within five, within the years as raising as many kids as we had that you might have not felt like that? But being responsible and part of the liberty and maintaining a family, you had obligations. It's the same as in the Word of God. So, you may not want to love your enemy, but God says, love your enemy. It says, feed your enemy. To, you are served of Jesus Christ, so you must do that which is pleasing unto God. Now, it's up to Him to change you, and that's why I say, His Spirit gradually changes you and progresses you to where it sets you free from emotional feelings that you're not tossed through and fold by your feelings that feeling doesn't enter into the picture. It's like the guy that him and his wife had married many a year or whatever and all of a sudden he said I'm not feeling like I'm married and I want to go to this place and that place. Okay, if we go downtown to the courthouse or whatever, is this little paper right here? This says you are married. I don't care how you feel or whatever. You are married. You may not feel that way but you are married. So you can't just go out and do it. It's not about feelings. But it's about something working in you that's regenerating you, changing you, giving your attitude a different mindset, a different thought. Because God says, your thoughts are not like my thoughts and your ways are not like my ways. So only God can give us the power to love. And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. That's why sitting down and watching television or doing some other things, we can't understand why some people do what they do because they are of the world. And, and if we're true believers, and a lot of us older believers that's been through that, we could understand that because we once walked in darkness ourselves. So that's why we pray for the world. We... I, I have sympathy, empathy, compassion, and a, and a reach out for a lot. That's what Paul was saying about his family members that maybe he wished he was a curse from the cross because he know the truth and he know what their struggles are. And he know that they can't open their own eyes. Why? Because he was one that was a Pharisee, one of the leading Pharisees persecuting the church and he couldn't see that he was going the wrong way. He was going against Christ. But until Christ awakened you and opened up your eyes, you're in blindness, and the God of this world has blinded the eyes. 
So, truth's relationship to freedom. John 8.32 says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What kind of message does it send to God if his children, those of us that are called by his name, either do not seek truth or carelessly ignore the truth of what they have? What kind of message that sends? Because something is not functioning or lighting up because this is a treasure here. God has to make this real and awaken you of just what treasure he placed in this earth investment and that we have to guide the truth. This is something very, very precious because people distort and mangle and twist the truth. Now that truth has the ability to set the whole world free. That's something that just is very more powerful than any nuclear bomb. Perhaps it would be good for us to think of it like this. Uh... To ignore truth is to ignore God and by extension to ignore salvation. To love the world and the things of the world. So that's why he tells us not to love the world. So, Brother Jackson, you're telling me, that's why you're telling me not to watch television and not to get tied up with the pleasures and the entertainments of this life, the things that make you feel good? And eat it? Because Esau said, well, what good is a birthright to me? Give me some of that pottage, and he sold his birthright. He sold the blessing because he didn't see a value in these things. One day God woke him up to, to realize what he had did, but he casually ate of the pottage. We casually sell ourselves. What is your bowl of lentils? Is it that girl down the street? Is it a car? Do you sell yourself for a car? Judas sold himself for 30 pieces of silver. That was his damnation. Do we turn on some people? We look, watch television and see the things in life. Just what was you thinking? All of the, Some guy last week, I think it was 3,000 fentanyl tablets that he had and all this money and thing. So this is what you you sow your soul for. This is how many deaths this could cause. What in the world is worth us selling our soul? What's the value of our soul? Is it hard working? Because this guy was building bigger bonds and building bigger bonds, but he wasn't looking at what condition his soul was in. Tonight your soul is required of you. Now, who's going to have those things that you've been building for? Are we working just too hard in our children, 4, 5, 6, 15, 20, and before long, they're grown, and you hadn't had that time with them, and the merchandise and things, so I always tell young people, I say, enjoy them children while you have them because they grow up so quickly. Sometimes we don't value our relationships and our things. You've been married to this woman, a man, 30 or 40 years, and you have vested in there. And only by the word of God it tells you deal not treacherously with the wife or the husband of your youth. Why would you do this to someone that's been with you that long, and now you're dealing treacherously to manipulate and go and get a younger person or do something else against that person for that method. You Somewhere along the line, you wasn't being led and guided by the spirit of truth. And so if truth is progressive, that means lies are progressive also, but lies unravel and move just that much faster. Truth does not come to us all at once. It gradually accumulates in those who ask, seek, and knock for it, for then use it in their own lives to glorify God. So we see the object has to be Christ Jesus. You seek it for Him. But we must work for the truth. In other words, it's going to take prayer service. It's going to take praying all of the time. 
It's going to take Bible study, studying the Word of God. But it's going to actually take a walk of living that way, practicing those truths for those truths to grow. Because truth (coughs) don't grow overnight, and it goes from truth to truth. Faith is ever increasing. So you can't start out with a big faith and then go little here. It's from faith to faith. It says it gradually accumulates. We do not always easily find it. So these people that's been living married for years and years, the ones that's living common law, that's a whole different ballgame because, okay, they say, well, we've never cheated. We've never done all these things. But you wasn't doing it according to the law of God. The law of God says you should be married. Maybe marriage was the deal breaker there. I think as Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell have been together all these 30 or 40 years and they're not married. Susan Sarandner and the guy that she was with for years. Okay, but marriage is different. It says being married to that individual. Living common law means you can take pull up stakes and leave at any time. So that's not what we're looking at. We're looking at had we ran this race legally, Paul puts it to running a race and that you have to run it legally within the bounds. Have you been keeping the rules? Have you been fighting a, the good fight of faith? In other words, you can't do evil and expect good to come from it. So, uh, sometimes truth emerges only after a long and confusing, confusing search that is constantly impeded by conflict and information. In other words, you then came up against this preaching doctrine and this teaching and a whole lot of other things to throw you off the path. But some reason or another, you kept saying, this is not right, that's not right. You're looking for the true one. That's why it tells us, to try the spirit to see whether they be of God because in this evaluation you have to put one aside both of them can't be true that means you will have to stand for God so established in righteousness we must persevere we can't just sit humbly by the wayside or sit humbly and associate and agree with these things Truth and freedom go hand in hand, but truth will produce freedom only as it's used. And if we don't reject that which is not right, we empower that. A lot of people say, well, I wasn't looking where the money go. He was preaching this and that. No, but what you need to do is be in that church, and if it's not right or whatever, you have to voice something or say something or do something because you may be empowering false doctrine. If you're going to that church and you within that number, you helping that person to grow and people think you're with them. And the Bible tells us not to even associate with those. So the truth in itself requires a fight. When they say this is a hard doctrine that you're preaching or teaching. They didn't follow him anymore because if you're unworthy, if you're not in the right teaching or doctrine, you're taking of communion, you're taking of the body of Christ, that's what's bringing sicknesses and ailments up on you is that you're partaking of something that make you sick. And if it makes you sick and you spew it out, you like the dog that's returning to the vomit. you got to get away from that which is making you sick. And the only way that you will be healed is by stripes we are healed. So we can't be healed from a doctrine that's polluted. Because in turn, we get kind of welded to it. That's why Jesus said, beware of the, le- the doctrine of the Pharisees, for it contains leaven. Sometimes you get attached to these teachings and everything. You say, but I don't agree with it then. I don't agree with it that. Well, why still sit up in that church? And why sit in that place if you're not in agreement with that? Because by you saying your amen and then this, you saying you're in agreement with this. Yes. 
So if you make a stand with this, it may not be the most pleasant thing in your life, and it hurts sometimes the truth hurts, and people will kill you for the truth. <clears throat> That's why Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Truth will get you killed. That's why they went against the apostles. That's why they all died, because truth stops the world system. Truth leads to death to the world system. Truth and truth, freedom and truth come to those who press on. Uh, I didn't get way afoot here. Um, As I was saying, it's a progressive truth, and that means pulling off the old man and fighting and being established in the truth. There was a time when it began, when this journey began, and Jesus says the people had left their first love. Along this highway, there could be a lot that crop up that's not the truth. You're not going to be able to be like a goat. The goats uh, eat anything, but a sheep won't eat anything. It says, my sheep hear my voice, and they won't listen to another. So you have to consume that which is good. Dorini told Peter, feed my sheep. But if you're not growing, Maybe you need to talk to the pastor, teacher, or whoever, and ask uh, which direction you need to be pointing in, uh, uh, praying, or uh, preach on. A lot of times, Sister Harris would come to him and say, Pastor, why don't you preach on this and preach on that? Because that's why the church, even though it's universal, it has to be small enough to cater to the members. In other words, with your prayers and things, when I come in here on Saturday mornings, Wednesday evenings, Sundays, or whatever. God has to lead me to answer what you're doing or whatever, if not publicly, privately. Because it's my job to feed the sheep, and it's our job to build one another up and encourage one another and strengthen one another. Jesus says, If you continue in my word, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. So we will understand the truth and we'll be free only if we continue in his word. But you can't, how can I say this? You can't eat of the plate of devils and the plate of God. In other words, that's why a lot of people don't belong to a certain church because they're listening at everybody. And if you're listening at every preacher of the televangelist and everything, well, you, you don't really know that in the visual or whatever because you're not hearing all that he's preaching and teaching. So the months of the times that you're not there, you may be, he may be saying things that you don't agree with or that are contrary to sound doctrine. And so they're preaching this, but... You didn't heard of this preacher and you only hear him three or four times a year. Well, what about those 50 times a year that he's preaching every Sunday or Saturday and he's preaching sometime twice, so that's a hundred times, and then what are they teaching? So that's why it tells us for Satan not to assemble together of ourselves because the church has to have some consistency with it. And with the church... I I listen at different religions and teachings, but did you know a lot of what most people teaching we do agree on and have commonality to it? And that's why he says, take heed to the doctrine of the Pharisees, for it contained leaven. That little bit of misunderstanding that you're not hearing or that you're not there and that you know that that you don't know that that church stands for is because you don't attend that church enough to know what's going on at that church. See, if the truth is going to make you free and you are to grow in that truth, you have to stabilize yourself steadfast, immovable in that one spot. And God will cause you to grow. But you can't grow tossed about by every wind of doctrine. And you don't... I hope you understand what I'm saying. In other words... 
you don't have a consistency of a belief system. You believe in these 10 different preachers here. You're listening out of 10 different preachers, but you're not planted in any church. That's because there's something wrong with your spirit. You might not be want to sub be subject to authority. And some people love the idea of preaching and thing, and they could go around listening to preachers all the time. But sometimes that preacher might step on their toe. Maybe that's what you need, that stepping on your toe, whatever deprived you. So the truth will make you free, and the truth does make you free, but there's a certain, I hope I'm getting this across to you, there's a certain perspective in which the truth is taught. So as Paul and them was going around as evangelists, they setting up churches or whatever, he even told the preacher not to go from house to house, but whatever house receive you, stay in that house till you leave the city and don't go from house to house because you will miss something out of that very spot you move is going to be something pregnant some truth that you really needed that they were praying for you that God was designing for you then you're not there to receive it. Heavenly Fathers I come before you this day Heavenly Fathers we come before you